Paracast, with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. David, I always wonder why people pounce upon you for no reason. Huh. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about here, uh, like, yeah. Some months ago, we were talking to one of our semi-regular guests, and I won't mention his name because it's irrelevant to the issue. You got upset, and you did something that you do quite frequently, whether it's on the air or off the air. You hung up. Yeah. And, and that was it. So the conversation proceeded for another 15 minutes or half an hour. No, it was, it was like a ha- at least a half an hour you were talking to that guest. Okay, so it was a half an hour, yeah. and I thought it was a pretty good interview. Yeah. And the audience seemed to like it. We heard nothing bad about what happened until a few weeks ago. That person's spouse goes on another radio show, which shall remain nameless because it's not worth mentioning, and starts attacking us as Calvinist witch hunters. And it turns out after back and forth email that she was upset because you hung up on her husband, not on the show. On her husband. Yeah. Yeah. They held the grudge for all this time. Nothing said about it. Yeah. Right. What a life. People are strange. Then, of course, now the crazies in the UFO field are fighting each other over a hoax perpetrated by one crazy person faking a press release from another crazy person. Right. (sighs) Well, you have compulsive liars. You have charlatans. I mean... We've been here before. This uh, little feud that was going on between these two sets of crazies, one of them is a compulsive liar, came on the show, fabricated a bunch of stuff. But, you know, Gene, here's the thing. You know you're being successful when people start giving you a hard time. Seriously. I mean, that that's a big part of what I think has been going on with a lot of the weirdness aimed at us. You know, if we were some little tiny show somewhere that nobody listened to, then nobody would pay attention to what we did. But the fact of the matter is that we get a tremendous amount of email from people all around the world thanking us for taking a stand, thanking us for being honest and having integrity. And a lot of people find that threatening. And what I think is really fascinating about that is that all of these people who supposedly hate us, they all listen to the show. (laughs) Oh, yes, I know that one of the people who was boasting on his website that he had millions of hits every month. Mm -hmm. And he shows me his web statistics. Now, let me explain, folks. You hear the word hits. You know, we've got a million hits a month. And then someone else says page views. So what are we talking about here? Page views means how many web pages on your site is being seen by different visitors. Hits, though, refers to every time a picture something is retrieved from your site. So, for example, you have a fancy website with 34 pictures on it. That's 34 hits. When somebody goes to that page. Right. So it counts as 34 hits, although it's one page. People are seeing one page. So I look at his statistics. He doesn't have millions of page views or hits. He has 60,000, which isn't bad. It's okay for a small site, but it's not millions. And this guy is running around telling people we have millions and millions of hits. Now, if this person wasn't somebody with all sorts of alleged degrees, I wouldn't think about it. But this person supposedly is an expert on a number of subjects with lots of degrees and a doctor before his name. 
and he can't figure this out. You have to wonder. Well, because he's an idiot. <laughs> it's really not that complicated. He's an idiot. He's a charlatan. And, Gene, we know how many people like that inhabit this field, quote-unquote field. And by field, we don't mean necessarily the field of UFO study. All, all the paranormal stuff that falls under the umbrella of the paracast. But when you have strong opinions, people find that an easy target to attack. And this is something, Gene, that I've been dealing with in the tech industry for many years. I'm a reviewer who would go and write a product review that would reveal a core truth about something. And this freaked out a lot of vendors in the 25 years I've been reviewing stuff. 25 years I've been writing professional product reviews and consumer product reviews. And I mean, I've been called into offices where editors have said to me, look, you have to justify what you've just said about this product. We don't believe that this could be true. A great example of that was when the infamous live picture was thrust onto the market. Now, this is obviously not the realm of this particular program, but there was a piece of software that was being promoted as Jesus Arisen from the Dead. This thing was going to be the end-all, be-all of imaging technology, and it was promoted as such, and people were asked to pay, I think it was $2,500 or $3,000 for a beta copy, blah, blah, blah. I think enough people who listen to this show know enough about technology to know that beta stuff means it's not like shipping in a box finished. But they're charging for it. It was like $3,000, and the person behind promoting this was one of the greatest snake oil salesmen of the high-tech industry, truly a scamster of world-class proportions, who I came to know very well. And, and that's a whole other story, because basically, at one point, he wanted me to form an entity with him, a business entity, and do some stuff together. And I was very wary. Now, mind you, this guy has gone on to become very wealthy, okay? Sadly, charlatans and snake oil salesmen are often rewarded for their efforts. But I have to tell you, I wrote up a review of that thing, and I was the only person in the whole industry to call the truth on that product because I knew what technologically that product actually was, not what they were claiming it was. And I got into a good amount of hot water regarding that product. And in the end, Gene, everything I said about that product was totally accurate, absolutely true. And when it finally came to the end of the life of that piece of crap, it was selling in catalogs for like $34.00. They were blowing it out, and that thing has vanished. It, there's not a trace of that thing left. So in the end, people somehow discover a fake is a fake. Well, now, it's also unfortunate, you know, in the UFO field, that some of the people who make money are frauds. But people who you really respect in the field, people who work for year after year and yeah. did a lot of great work, like Richard H. Hall, for example, and one thing we know about Richard Hall, and I didn't always get along well with him, but he had integrity. Everybody, whether you agree with him or not, the man had integrity. He was honest to a fault. And he lived in near poverty for years and years. He couldn't sad. get a job. He was a UFO guy. Yeah. So sad. A uh, harbinger of things to come for us, perhaps? I we won't let see. that happen. Uh, I hope not. I will not let that happen. We're going to possibly at times ask our listeners to help us with the marketing of the show, get the word out, help us find sponsors so we don't end up that way. Yeah. 
Now, you've located a fascinating guest for us, or actually two guests for us two this guests week. Two for us, indeed. Yeah. Two for the price of one. Tell us. You know, it made me think of you, strangely enough, you and Grayson, what you were doing early on with the Mac Night Owl. We have a fellow who, with his son, actually uh, has, a, a, I believe, a podcast, if I'm not wrong. I think, actually, Gene, they're on real radio, unlike us. But these guys seem really intelligent, really honest. Uh, it'll be curious to see how some of our thoughts about these topics mesh up with theirs or not. I was recently listening to uh, one of their shows that they did with uh, Joe Citro, a good friend of ours who I desperately would love to have back on the show, a true mensch in, in the world of, uh, of anomalous research. They had an interview with him that sounded really great. And also I was listening to an interview they were doing with Stan Friedman. And they were asking really great questions. So I thought, you know, maybe it'd be fun to have on Paul and Ben Eno, who um, they have, a, 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 like I said, a radio show. I think the radio show is called Behind the Paranormal. And uh, there's a quote on there. It's uh, on their website, uh, behindtheparanormal.com. It says, there is a huge untapped audience of intelligent people who are fascinated by the paranormal, but who are turned off by the shallow, even silly, Approach taken by most radio and TV shows on the subject today. Our show goes deeper, way deeper. We aim to satisfy that untapped audience because we're part of it. That's a quote from Paulino. So you read something like that, and I thought these guys would be great for our show. And they're coming up next on The Paracast. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Is your IRS tax problem ruining your life? Hi, I'm Ronnie Deutsch. Don't be another IRS victim, and please don't give up hope. Call me today and let's do something about it. If you have tax problems, call Ronnie Lynn Deutsch, a professional tax corporation, at 800-515-4541. That's 800-515-4541 for your free and confidential tax analysis. That's 800-515-4541 for your free tax guide. Call Ronnie Deutsch's law firm and speak with them today. Not available in New York. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. You know, neighbor is one of the hardest jobs in organizing this show and our websites was finding the right host to get everything online. We've used a number of these companies and there are lots of good ones to choose from, but the very best is one and one internet. One and one internet is part of United Online. It's a large European telecom company that's been in business since the 1980s. So you can bet they know what they're doing and there are millions of individuals and companies out there who depend on one and one internet to get online and stay online. Right now, one in one internet is having a big special. From the cheapest email hosting package to the large dual quad-core server that we're using, you can bet that you'll get a full package of the services you really need at a price that's far lower than you might expect. From registering a domain to hosting a full-fledged business site, use the same host we do, one and one internet. To get the latest special deals, point your browser to theparacast.com slash host. That's theparacast.com slash host for the best value in hosting your personal or business sites.
You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Today we're thrilled to have on the Paracast a father and son, I want to say broadcasting or research team, you guys will correct us momentarily, uh, Paul and Ben Eno, who uh, seem to sort of be walking along a similar path that we are, in that uh, based on what I've heard of them and uh, read on their website, they seem like our kind of people, Gene. So, Paul and Ben, we want to welcome you to the Paracast. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, curious, how do a father and son get involved in dealing with these wacky topics? How does that come to pass? Well, oh, you want to? Explain? Uh, I'm going to take that one. Yeah, yeah. go for it. <laughs> okay. uh, well, we have uh, we're kind of um, different in age. You might say I'm 56. I'm ben 17. Is, ben is 17, and I started out uh, in paranormal research when I was studying for the priesthood when I was 17. And that was in 1970, 1971, and uh, I've been working on it ever since. I became, uh, I didn't, I never became a priest because they threw me out of the seminary because they didn't like this sort of research that I was doing. That was about two years before ordination. And then I ended up a journalist, and I had a long career in the New England journalism as a reporter and an editor for newspapers and magazines. And then Ben came along in 1992, uh, a little bit later in life. My wife and I have been married for 28 years, and we... Uh, have been a little, little bit late uh, in life, and uh, he has grown up with uh, the paranormal, really, and we were a little bit nervous about getting him involved, but he seemed very interested, and we thought that uh, he was very uh, capable of handling the, the various stimuli that come your way in, in uh, researching these cases. And Ben has proven, I think, that uh, more than uh, more than once, and he has uh, been a tremendous partner for me since uh, about '05 when we when we started out working together. And uh, he's, I have him by my side anytime in any emergency. Uh, he's very mature, and I'm real proud of him. And then the radio uh, thing started up. I've been off and on the air for about, you know, 30 years or so uh, as a guest, but then uh, people were saying, well, why don't you have your own show? So we started out with an Internet show on Achieve Radio, and then finally a station here in Rhode Island picked us up, an AM station. So uh, it's been about a year now, and we're doing the, – the other network didn't want to let us go, the Internet one, so we're doing two shows. We just um, – I just think we work as a real great team. Uh, we, we kind of um, – given the, the age difference, I think we understand each other pretty well, and we, and we, we kind of share everything. And, and uh, I, I'm real proud of him, and I'm real proud of our relationship. I think that's really great because so often what we find on the Paracast is that the only perspective you end up getting is from people who have been involved in the field for 20, 30, 40 years. And uh, we've often lamented the fact that there aren't more young voices involved in discussing this stuff and looking into it. So, uh, Ben, big kudos to you for, for getting into this. I do what um, I can. <laughs> well, now, for most people, getting involved in this stuff Typically, not always, though, but typically involves having a paranormal experience. So, Paul, you've had some paranormal experiences? Well, you might say that, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, starting out uh, in 1970 with, you know, very. I'll talk to people sometimes. And let me just comment on what you just said. I think you're absolutely correct. 
You know, we often have, um, as I'm sure you do, your eminent international guests on the show, and uh, and, and I suppose you know you can include me at least as an experienced uh, person in this field. And you can often get not bogged down, but you can get fixated, I suppose, on a certain point of view. Right. And you're right. And when you have younger people coming in uh, who have other points of view, or at least can, can can expand upon what you've done, I think that's extremely valuable. And people with, with you know, 30, 40 years of experience, and there aren't that many, really, uh, should listen to the younger people, because uh, perspectives can can be expanded, no matter how much experience you have, and and uh, and that's, uh, that's certainly the case. Uh, but my own paranormal experiences, yeah. And 1971 was my, if you want to say, first case. I was, you know, Ben's age or slightly older, and several of us from the seminary uh, went out to northwest Connecticut, northeast Connecticut, I should say, to an abandoned village. And it's one of these places where you go in and you hear the sounds of farm life, and presumably the 18th or 19th centuries, or even before that. And uh, that was a quite a, uh, a shocking experience for us. We didn't really expect anything. And as I say, you talk to people who've been in the field for eight or ten years or more, and they say, "Well, well I've never seen anything." Well, <laughs> we started right out with both barrels. We had uh, experiences of, um, I always cite this one, an ox cart driving by that was invisible, and the fellow was yelling uh, to, the, to the presumably the horses or the oxen we couldn't see, and you could hear the wooden wheels and all these different things. And, and, and we saw uh, streaks of, of apparently energy or something moving through the trees, uh, and this is six or seven people witnessing this, uh, sometimes in different locations and seeing it in the same place that everyone else was. So, yeah, starting out like this, and then, of course, poltergeist cases are probably the, the most famous one, although not the worst I've seen, was the uh, 1974 case I was working on with Ed Lorraine Warren in Bridgeport, Connecticut. A uh, little girl was involved and an entire family and the whole city got involved too because the press got in and it was it was pretty well known. But I was injured in the leg by a flying television set and I do mean something that didn't just fall off a shelf. Hmm. Uh, and, and I have been injured in several, several cases by uh, you know, poltergeist phenomena of various kinds. So poltergeists don't like you. I don't know if it's poltergeists that don't like me, but it's what might be behind poltergeists that don't like me. Uh, and we, we've had experiences with parasites, Ben yeah. and I both. And I, ref, I refer to them as parasites because I take a little bit of different view than, than a lot of investigators do. I think we're dealing with some real deep physics here. I think it's far more interesting and far more, in a way, frightening and on the other side of it, hopeful uh, than the common campfire 19th century spiritualism that you usually interpret this stuff with. And I think that what we're dealing with here are real life forms, not dead people or anything. Uh, and in the case of parasites and poltergeists, these things are not human and they'll come in and feed upon you like a cosmic mosquito will. And they're just part of nature. Maybe a part of nature we're not that familiar with, except through superstition. And uh, that, uh, in my case, uh, seems to be uh, involving a lot of these entities who don't like me, as you say. And I'll go so far as to say that I have, I have run into, on several occasions, the same entities. You know, they just you know you know how someone has a certain presence, uh, and they do it. This maybe I'm wrong, but it does uh, seem seem to be that in some cases they're they're the same one, and it's very interesting because they seem to know me too, and it's really an odd experience. And people say, well, do they have names? I mean, you mean like George or something? Well, no. I mean, they, these are non-human entities, in my opinion, that uh, have some in some cases leaders and cultures and strategies for uh, farming, if you will, certain families just so they can eat. That seems to be how it works, and, and that's and I didn't start out expecting that sort of thing. I started out expecting the usual garden variety, you know, theological or uh, spiritualist 
you know, other side and spirit world and all that's not what I found at all. So anyway, my this not only did I have I had paranormal experiences, but I've had very different interpretations of what they mean. Well, before we go into interpretations, you've indicated that you and Ben have had some shared experiences with these what you call parasites. Could you elaborate upon that? Okay, well, um, our first case really, did, and, and the case we're still working on now, now, I work on cases, we were, I should say, we work on cases for years at a time. I don't know too many investigators who do that. They, they swoop in with their, you know, uh, gadgets that they, in my opinion, don't really understand very well, and they will, you know, they swoop out again, and maybe there's a little follow up, but, but we will work with people, uh, in some cases for years. The longest one, uh, we're still working on has been 10 years, and that involves a serious parasite. Uh, and, and in fact, I wrote that's in my, my uh, O2 book, uh, Faces, I should say, Footsteps in the Attic, and it's uh, here, here in Rhode Island. Now, other cases uh, have involved less time, but the, the, you put you put the time into it, and it's amazing what you learn when, when you put that kind of time into a case, and you expand on what you've learned in the beginning, and you see where it goes, and it takes you to places you don't really expect, but parasites. Uh, the case I just mentioned is called, the in, in the chapter was In the Dark, in Footsteps in the Attic, and I started out with it in 1998. Okay, now obviously long before Ben was involved. But now he's gotten involved, and the case has changed because the people have changed. In the uh, initial part of it, there seemed to be one or two uh, parasitical entities, one of whom I, I met, if you will, on the very first night, the very first visit. Uh, I walked out of this house, and this is in a relatively rural area in Rhode Island, and I walked out of the house and uh, down toward uh, this energy field that I really felt very strongly, and sure enough, in the center of the field was this, this plasma-like figure with arms and all, it took off to the right and uh, again ha- having done this for so long you kind of know what to look for and uh, the, the, the stimuli you receive both electrically and I don't know whatever you, if you want to call it I hate to use the word psychic because it's got so much baggage but I mean you, we, uh, we all have the ability to be like radios when it comes to these things so this I judged was a parasite and subsequent events believed I you know, proved me right, I believe. Now, years later, because Ben got involved, the fellow who was the head of the household, if you will, uh, had passed away, and uh, the the, uh, the woman who had been the initial victim uh, remarried, and uh, the fellow she married happened to be a full-blooded Aztec uh, hmm. who was a, of a shamanic family. And we have um, have some plans to kind of work with him, and... Um, Ben uh, went and started to get involved. We went over. We interviewed some of the uh, the people in the house, and uh, Ben is very helpful, especially when there are young people and teens involved in a case. Uh, and uh, maybe not so much in this case, but in others, uh, they'll sometimes tell him things. He can kind of get in with them, and you know more than they would with an adult like me or even their parents. So it's kind of an interesting detective uh, exercise in a way. Hmm. So. Um, that's one thing he got involved with. We yeah. tried not to. If you want to say any more about that case, go ahead. That case, yeah. I've only been there like once, and that was not even that long. It was like maybe one hour, like follow yeah. kind of thing. And I'll say we were very, very reluctant, meaning his mom and I, to let him get involved in any parasite cases, especially right off. But you can't help but run into them. Now we're working on one in Maine. Oh yeah, that one. That one was. I don't really know what to say about that because I was only there like once, and it's not still even going that on. Long. Yeah, it was. It was, like, powerful in a way, but, like, more to the effect of it being having a powerful presence, not, like, being like a powerful being or whatever. So you realize, and as you say this, right, there are a lot of people who are going, well, what are, what are these guys talking about? You know, you, you just described something, Paul, where you've got this very significant visual manifestation. So do you guys capture visual evidence of this stuff? 
Oh uh, yeah, I have a photograph of that thing I just described, with, you know, in Rhode Island with the arms. Really? Uh, that can be yeah, that can be seen on the NewEnglandGhosts.com. It's our main website under Ghosts of Rhode Island, and uh, I didn't catch it that very night. But uh, in subsequent work in this case, in, 19, in the late nineties, I uh, was able to uh, get a, a photograph of that. Uh, well, one of one of the most interesting cases that Ben has been involved with that involved a parasite was what we referred to as the haunted policeman. Yeah, in Vermont. And uh, that was one where um, you can describe it. We get out of the car the first time. This is in northern Vermont. And we um, one of the first things we do is check the property because uh, it's not just, you know, people look at the inside the house. Well, that's not enough. You check the property. You have to take a look at the people because I find the cases never affect just one area. Uh, they generally affect um, a whole, um, I, sh- I should say, one house or one family. They generally will affect an entire area. And this can be very large. And this is the basis for what we know as a paranormal flat, because if you, if you are lucky enough to be able to talk to the neighbors, they'll say, well, yeah, well, we have funny stuff going on. This ashtray moved across the room by itself, or we saw a UFO. Or the other neighbors said, well, there was a, a Bigfoot looking in our window. No, we didn't dare tell anybody because they think we were crazy, but we're, they were planning on moving. And this is the sort of thing you kind of uh, will uncover at times. But in this Vermont case, it involved a police officer who uh, lived uh, in an apartment underneath uh, the uh, main house of his, his parents in the basement. And when we went into that yard... Oh, yeah, yeah, we saw, like, the same, um, we, we got, like, the same impression of there being a really negative event going on, like a, like a murder or, like, someone, like, dying like, yeah. in the yard. and a corner of the end, somewhere else in what we refer to as space-time, because our whole point of view is this, is, of this is that the paranormal is not, again, you know, seeing dead people and all this stuff. We live, uh, in my opinion, in a, and other people's opinion as well, in what we refer to as a multiverse, which is a, a uh, huge system of interlocking and interactive worlds, all of which are relatively independent, but which depend on each other for energy and exchanges and things of this kind. And this is one interpretation of the multiple worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics. And this is what I thought, what I began to see way back there at that, that lost village when that ox cart driver went by so many years ago, was that these are other worlds in which people are, nobody's dead, everybody's sort of living in, uh, going about their business. And in the case of the parasites, we're non-human, they seem to use these worlds and seem to have access to many that are around them, almost like kind of octopus with tentacles, if you will. I've seen that too. And uh, they seem to be able to reach in and feed upon whoever happens to be in a nearby world, if you will, you know, to, to use our own puny terms. So in this Vermont case, uh, we felt uh, something going on in that yard, not necessarily in our own time stream, our own reality, our own consciousness, conscious world, but in a parallel one. And an entity we judged to be a parasite. Matter of fact, Ben got a, got a rather remarkable photograph of oh, it yeah. that very day. I was afraid to show it to him. Uh, but anyway, uh, these things, uh, this thing would, would seem to feed upon whatever was going on in this parallel world. You know, and maybe then, we should clarify this for a second, okay, Paul? Feed upon. I'd like some more explanation as to how we define that. Okay, yeah, good question. Okay, well, what does a mosquito do? It feeds upon your blood. What does a parasite do? It feeds upon your, for lack of a better term, negative energy. Now, I can't put a quote-unquote scientific finger on it, but it seems that these things will feed upon hate, division, stress sometimes, uh, any sort of thing that divides people. So to run is an invitation to being chased. Business travel is a profitability killer, you know that. 
So do more and travel less with GoToMeeting, the easiest, most affordable online meeting service. With just a click, launch sales presentations, training sessions, product demos, or collaborative sessions right from your desk. GoToMeeting is so easy to set up and use, you'll have your first meeting running in seconds. Plus, hold as many meetings as you want for one flat rate. Free VOIP and phone conferencing included. Try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. For this special offer, you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts. That's www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg, David Jedney, and I completely, enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with an opportunity to stretch out and talk. We have Paul and Ben Eno. They have their own paranormal show, okay, so we don't want you to think that we don't let other shows come on <laughs> our program. It's called Behind the Paranormal. It's heard online also, W-O-O-N, 12.40 a.m., okay? So if you live in the Rhode Island area and you can get that station, then you could listen to them. When's it on, by the way? Uh, well, it's on Sunday evening, 7 to 8, uh, weekly, and it's uh, online at onworldwide.com as well. You know, what you're saying here very briefly tallies with what the late John Keel used to talk about, that the tricksters or whatever was causing all this to happen they would feed upon hate they would exploit the fear in order to do their stuff yeah well you know i i've in my travels over the years and uh you know ben and i have just started to work together we, we've gotten as far as san diego so far yeah but uh i'm hoping to introduce him to some uh, native elders uh and and uh you're starting to get a little experience with zen yeah as it is uh but the thing is that these things that we consider folklore keep coming up and you hear what i just described in scientific or some might say pseudoscientific terms uh you hear it described in terms of folklore and in terms of theology as well by many other people and again i'm always saying our language is really not quite up to actually talking about this stuff but our experiences sure are the same what we describe as parasites you know feeding upon negative energy someone might put in theological terms and say demons you know or or whatever or what have you and evil spirits are doing the same things or um you might say the trickster. Native American might describe the trickster, one who they often will associate with the animal, the coyote, you know, somebody tricking you into things and, and leading you into paths that have dead ends and this sort of thing. It's really uh, the same kind of human experience expressed in different terms. Right. Actually, if we go back, uh, you've got in um, Eastern European circles, you have the Dybbuk. You have um, certainly in the Middle East, you have uh, the Jinn mm -hmm. uh, sort of fulfill a similar role. Now, there are some people, Paul, that might say, well, you know, you look at the kind of strife and the kind of unrest that goes on around the world on a daily basis. You know, this world is so full of violence. So what would you say to someone who would, would, would ask you, well, why go after individuals when if you have beings that would feed off of negative emotional energy? There seems to be so much of that for the taking around the world. So what do you feel then is a potential explanation for why so many of these things seem to center on, and not all of them, but in many cases like 
people living in a house in some remote area versus, let's say, a place where there's a higher concentration of intense emotional energy just by the virtue of a higher density of people? Well, that's a good question. I think that what we're looking at is, you know, the uh, uh, for want of a nail, the horseshoe was lost, and hence the battle and all this sort of thing. L- big things start as little things, all right? And there are certain, if I might say, what you say, Ben, species yeah. of parasites who seem to be operating on different levels. And you've asked a question that really started to come up early in my, my career, and that was, you know, suppose, okay, you, you've got an individual being picked on, uh, you know, in our judgment, by a parasite or a family or a community. And, and if you look back at the origins of human uh, society, I think that very often you had entities pretending to be gods who would come forth and, and would, would, would almost this happened in the Bell Witch case in Tennessee in uh, modern times. You know. and, but then you wonder, you know, how much sustenance could these things get from war? You know, from 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 the as you say, the violence and, and strife that goes on around the world, and uh, I think that the the answer was quite a few. I think I think they work their way up. I think that some species feed upon the big stuff, some species feed upon the little, on the little things, and I'm afraid that um, the question arises: you know, how, how much power do we have against these things? Are we indeed being farmed as a species, as David Icke might say? You know, because there are people who are a lot more negative in their their point of view on this than I am. Uh, I think we we have friends out in this, if you will, multiverse, as well as enemies such as these parasites. We have love that, and we've seen this. We've seen people pick themselves up from these terrible situations in which they're, they're just being uh, a smorgasbord for these things. Come together with their families, have faith, have uh, love, have humor. Laughter is extremely powerful, and 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 defeat these things, and, and at least put them to sleep. So I think that if if we were to do that as as a species, imagine what we could we could accomplish <laughs> together. Uh, so the, the the both the two sides of the argument are that yeah, um, I think you're right that these things could influence perhaps uh, the whole uh, people in government uh, feed upon wars, but the, they they feed upon all levels. I mean, what do you do during your for your own diet? I mean, you know, you'll you'll have a big meal now and then, but you'll also have a snack. You know, to, to use a rather silly analogy, you know that. It nevertheless, I suppose, illustrates the point that you know that uh, they feed uh, on individuals and and nations as well. And uh, the implications of this are rather staggering. And we have a lot to do to avoid a lot of problems. I think in the future. Well, also, you know, when you when you when you couch it in those terms, right? This is where people, I think, start to get uh, a little uncomfortable because it starts to push at that edge of what a lot of people might consider reasonable. Now, two and a half years ago, and I'll just briefly retell the story so that you guys can get a clue about what we're about. On Craigslist, there, there was a person who had put up an ad that uh, a, young, a young woman living in Manhattan, that she was living in some apartment and was really, really scared because there were these weird sounds going on. She was seeing like lights under the doors of the apartment when she was in there late at night. And she didn't know what to do, and she didn't know who to turn to. Could somebody, like, help her? So I saw this, and this was, like, just, I think, six or seven months after we started doing the Paracast. I sent her an email saying, look, I have the show, blah, blah, blah. I'm not really an expert on this stuff, but perhaps I know somebody who could help you. Do you want me to call you? And she sent me her phone number, and I called her up. And never forget, there were two, uh, I'm pretty sure it was a Monday and a Tuesday evening, if I remember correctly, or a Tuesday and Wednesday. I think it was a Monday and a Tuesday evening. I called her on the phone. We started talking. 
And while we're talking, I'm hearing in the background these incredibly bizarre sounds start and stop. It's like some weird kind of almost like organ grinder music at some point. Then there are these sounds of screaming and laughter. And, and I said to her, are those the sounds you're talking about? She said, yeah, can you hear those? And it was just uh, um, like I was talking to her and I'm getting just my skin is going crazy and I'm getting like goosebumps all over. The first night, I talked to her for about 20 minutes, and then I said to her, listen, I have to get off the phone. And I was, like, not feeling well. And I hung up the phone on her, and I, and I crawled into bed, and I was shivering uncontrollably as if I was coming down with, like, a massive flu of some sort. And I just basically was, like, completely freaked out. And I, and I didn't recover that night. I basically had to go to sleep because I was just completely out of it. Next night, I figured, okay, uh, and I felt better the next day. I called her back to get some more of the background of the story from her, which she ended up giving me. But the sound started up again about 10 minutes into the call. These weird sounds start. And after about five minutes of that, that was it. I was done. And I said to her, look, I don't know what you're going through, but uh, I can't talk to you anymore. And I'm not going to be calling you back. And I hung up and same exact thing. I went and got into bed. I was shivering uncontrollably. It was really bad. And, and that's a situation where... I really ended up feeling it. And who knows? Maybe she was playing a joke on me. Maybe she was pranking me just for attention. I mean, I, I'm willing to, to agree that that would be a possibility of what happened there. But I know that I had this intense, physical, visceral reaction where I felt, I felt drained. I felt sick. I, I haven't, like, done that again because I realized, you know, I wasn't ready for what I guess was going on there. But, you know, I hesitate to tell that story because I know that people will hear that and go, oh, geez, you know, this, this guy, he's just, he's just, you know, kind of like falling into a prank. I mean, I assume you guys have obviously heard about situations like that, right? Well, yeah. we've not only heard about it. That's happened to me a lot. It happens to us all the time. And, you know, it's really a pain in the neck. And it's funny, you mentioned New York City. Uh, I've been working with someone in New York City now for... Um, a relatively prominent person for uh, almost two years now. She's only just beginning to make some progress, and uh, I, I hesitate to bring Ben in on these things. But we have a—you know—you can't help it. Yeah, I like mean, everything's connected. So, how how do you prepare Ben then to like go into a situation where there's again whatever it is? How do you deal with like those kinds of emotional situations? I mean, how do you prepare for such a thing? A lot of meditation. We have a that's lot of protection. I, that's all I can say. It's just a lot of meditation. Just keep positive. Yeah, keep positive. Well, th that's the key, man. You're absolutely right. You, you keep positive. You keep your sense of humor. Uh, and, you know, I, and I can't emphasize. It may sound funny, pardon the pun, but I mean, keeping your sense of humor and 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 laughing together. Though not at each other, right? Yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> we uh, he's getting tired. Already. Yeah, uh, it really works. Uh, I once got because this is way, way before Ben's time, but in 1978, I got rid of the worst poltergeist I ever dealt with by using a joke book. And we brought everybody together, you know, and and we worked with it with that, and it didn't even take very long. But we have a lot of protection. Uh, we really, really stress that as well as these nasty critters out there, whatever, whoever they may be, we also have, if you want to call them, whatever, again, more puny words for great realities, angels, guardians, whatever you want to say, ancestors, we talk a lot about ancestors, you don't often hear that in the West, uh, and we just, we have a lot of protection. We've been having a lot of trouble with parasites lately around, not necessarily in our house, but in our area, people have been calling us, Dan's older brother, Jonathan, 
uh, my oldest son went out and took a, a photograph. What was that? Maybe about what? It was like a couple months ago. Yeah, and, and there was this, and that's on New England ghosts uh, as well, under the ghosts of Rhode Islands. Cowled figures, something that comes up in these New York cases very frequently, uh, sort of hovering. Uh, in the air, uh, uh, but he was trying to take a picture of, of uh, the constellation of Orion, and he got this instead. You know, uh, now sure, when you and, and this, the very thing has happened to me. Uh, calling people as you just described, uh, da- uh, this is David, right? Yeah, that's correct. Oh, okay. And I'm sorry, I can't tell you guys apart yet. And, that all the time. Yeah. The problem so, is that we can't tell each other apart. We're in real trouble. I would say you are, yes. Uh, so, but in any case, talking with these people in New York, I've had sounds like that come about. Of course, this can be fake, but you know, but I can't imagine that everybody's faking it, you know. And uh, I asked myself, okay, what are these things feeding on to be so powerful against an individual person like this? This person, you know, they, they'd be asleep all the time, and they'd be drained because you run into this, as you described, being very drained. Uh, chronic fatigue syndrome comes up. And that dawned on me, we're talking about New York City here. Now, New York has... A lot of things to be said for it, but you know, positive energy is not necessarily one of them. <laughs> so I think that um, that might be an explanation for that. And as I said, these things have, if you want to, and this is just an analogy, it's not literal, but there's tentacles and, and into various worlds, and we've seen that time and time again. And I think it's probably what's going on here. So to answer your question uh, at length like this, I, yeah, we run into that all the time, uh, particularly in large cities. And uh, I really, I, in fact, I get thousands. We, I should say we get thousands of emails from people, and I'm not exaggerating, especially after coast-to-coast appearance from people who are having these very problems. You know, help me. What do we do? And a lot of times it's extremely frustrating because they want a lot of people want you to come in and fix it. And you really can't do that. It's really up to the person who's the victim. It's kind of hard with two people, too. Yeah, it is, yeah. Well, plus, you know, I mean, I mean, and we're limited. I mean, we don't have any money. We can't travel an awful lot. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have school and stuff and work. So we try to deal long distance uh, with some of these cases, and it's not always easy to do that. So, yeah, we get real frustrated with this. Uh, but I do have a page on NewEnglandGhost.com, what to do if you think you're having a ghost problem. And uh, it'll give you some preliminary steps to bring in positive energy and to, to do stuff that you really should be doing in a family anyway, or even if you're not in a family. Uh, and then we have a little questionnaire that people can send in. And if it's really, if I can, can handle it and it really is uh, uh, able to be dealt with, I think, by telephone, and then I will contact the people and, and uh, screen them for a support group that we run uh, once a week uh, by phone for people who are having these kinds of problems. So that's about all we can do. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
We are talking to Paul and Ben Eno. We can reverse those names and do it alphabetically to give each one the proper degree of credit. Paul <laughs> or Ben, whoever wants to take this. Simple question here. Obviously, you have a certain level of assumptions about what's causing this. What if it was something we were causing ourselves, our collective unconscious, whatever, was generating the bad vibes, the negative entities, the positive entities, depending on the kind of energy we feed? Uh, it all goes hand in hand, actually, because it, ha it has to be up to us whether we want to change it or not. Because if something negative going on and we're not doing anything about it, that's our fault. It, but if there's something that's, like, it's not really negative, but, like, we're making it negative, like, we're not doing anything to fix it, that is also our fault. Yeah, well put. You know, there, there are some uh, physicists, uh, Dave, who might say that we generate ourselves, you know, our own world, you know, the, the, the fringes of quantum mechanics. Yeah, I, I, and you said, you said, he said the A word, didn't he? What? Assumptions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always, I'm always railing against uh, what I refer to as the feral ghost hunters and people like this who just assume we're dealing with spirits of the dead. You're assuming that the material world is real in the sense that we think it is and that we are five senses experience that we assume that science which is based on the evidence of our five senses is, is giving us an accurate picture of the world and we can't assume anything like that. Because we know nothing. Right. Exactly. We don't really know. We don't know anything when you come right down to it. That's one of the reasons we like you guys. Because that's, you know, if the, para, if the Paracast has an attitude, it's that people come on and say, you know, they, for example, I know you guys have pointed this out. You called this out with some of the guests you've had on your show where they take the term UFO and the term extraterrestrial and they weld them together. It's like, yeah. oh, stop. We don't, we don't know what we're talking about here. We don't know where these things are sourcing from. When you know something is not one of our pieces of technology, that's just far as we can really realistically go that's true and that, that's one of the great things about the paranormal is that you know the more you learn the more you learn you don't know <laughs> you know funny funny ben you know this came up with a conversation the other and on the show a couple of weeks ago was you know we have a lot of phds who come on our show. i'm sure you do too and uh, you know there are some who are open and some who are not some of the greatest ones seem to be rather close-minded and to me it seems if you're going to get a phd and it's going to narrow your thinking rather than broaden it why bother well i think for a lot of people who you know, spend a lot of time attacking a specific area or topic and a specific theory it's just a human nature thing where they get very vested in a specific explanation and tend to sort of filter out anything else, like Stan Friedman, who we totally love and respect, who very much is focused on UFOs or the portion of UFOs that he feels are sourced from another planet, quote-unquote nuts and bolts craft, that come here, do things, and leave. And he doesn't really deal with anything outside of that bucket because he's not comfortable with it. And at least Stan is very upfront about that. Stan is great. Yeah, he's one of our favorite guests. Yeah. Well, do you, do you, have you ever have you ever gotten in a position where you pr you prod him in certain ways, and he'll say things that I think are very interesting. Matter of fact, the first time we had him, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but no, no, first go ahead. But Stan's a good friend of ours. But the first time we had him on the show, which was what was that, Ben? That was a. Uh, it was I wasn't there. It was last year, uh, sometime uh, Wait, June, yeah. or, June no, or July. No, I wasn't there. Yeah, I lied. Uh, he, uh, he had said something in an interview in 1978 that I had heard and, and never quite 
forgot. And I said, Stan, I have a question I've wanted to ask you for 30 years. He said, really? I said, go ahead. And in an interview with um, Fabrice Florin on the, uh, was, I think it was the uh, New Frontiers Foundation, he had said words to the effect that uh, at, at least for the past few thousand years, people have not been able to get out and be the Genghis Khans of the galactic neighborhood. You know how Stan you know, he talks. And he's sure, a very, sure. very articulate fellow. And I said, what do you mean the last few thousand years? And so I pinned him down. I said, Stan, did you mean that you believe you, you are a catastrophist? You believe that the human race has gone from, as it were, hand tools to power tools several times in our long and empty history that we know nothing about, you know, two million years or so? And he said, yes. And he had not discussed that on the air before. Mm. He kind of prodded it out. So that that's that's another aspect. And then and what, then then we got to talk about well, would would these extraterrestrials, if that's what they are, be interested in other aspects of uh, other dimensions of human experience? And he said yes. He thinks they'd, they'd be interested in the the quote unquote spirit world and all the, the the things that confront us as human beings in one form or another in the human experience. And so I'd never heard him say things like this before. So if you prod the guy, he does think about these things. But I see what you mean. I'm, I don't. We're not here to talk about Stan, but uh, I think he, he realizes people with with PhDs. And he has he has, a, he has a master's degree, not a PhD, but uh, people who have advanced degrees, including me in, in philosophy. If 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 you really you got to prod yourself. And not to fall into your assumptions and not to get attached to any particular point of view, because that, that that's when you're distra- that's what wrecks you. Right. That's what that's when your thinking stops. So and, and, and right back to your first question, having a guy like Ben around, you know, young, young thinking and, and some new thinking. It, it's just what you need. It's what I do. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You're telling your dad when he's wrong. Yep. OK, well, that well, sounds you know, like something that's a lot of fun. I know that I had to do that with my father quite a few times. <laughs> my son goes into it with the assumption that I'm always wrong. So therefore, he has nothing to say any further. Well, you know, I'll tell you, Ben, when we started to work together, even before, you were like, when did we go to that herb farm in Connecticut? I was like eight. You were like eight. Yeah, I was eight. He said, Dad, you're going to run into UFOs in this case. I said, huh, what? And he was right. And uh, you're not often going to hear a teenager's father say this, but he is right more often than he's not right, and I've learned to listen to him very carefully. Okay, we're witnesses that you said that, so... <laughs> yes, yeah, so here it is for all the world to hear. Now, I've said it several times, and I'm proud to say it, and I'll say it again. because I'm the man. <laughs> well, don't let it go to your head. No, I'm just kidding. Well, now, us- you brought up some, some, interesting, some interesting points, uh, and one of the things that um, is really frustrating about having a show that covers all of these topics is that everybody's very compartmentalized. You know, the people who do UFO stuff, they don't want to know about ghosts. They don't want to know about any of that stuff. They, they just don't have any bandwidth for it. And a lot of them really don't pay any credence to any of it either. They're just, and with ghost people, you know, you start to talk about UFO stuff. They're like, uh, 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 no, no, I don't want to hear it. Why, <laughs> why do you think that is? And then we're going to later on talk about where some of the overlap might end up occurring in these different places. But why do you think it is that there seems to be so much compartmentalization and territoriality around this stuff? You want to take that? No, you take it. All right. Okay. <laughs> For the just, next 20 well, minutes, there's going to be a fight over who takes it, <laughs> gentlemen. Okay. I am going to do the play-by-play, and then our color reporter is going to be David. Go ahead, please. Oh, yeah. I hope we do better than the Red Sox have lately. Anyway, uh, 
I think this because you have to go back to the nature of our own thinking in Western society, okay, which itself goes back to the Greeks, ancient Greeks, to compartmentalize, you know, the C word. We had the A word and the C word. Compartmentalizing is part of what we do. We uh, assume that, you know, uh, biology is over here and physics is over here, and maybe there's a little bit of interaction, but, you know, it's still over here and over here. Uh, history is over there, okay? Uh, religion is over there. Well, it's not. And I think that interdisciplinary thinking is what we're starting to experience. And I'm finding that there is more of an openness uh, to interdisciplinary paranormal research, if I may use that term, among certain ghost hunters or UFO people. But still, it hasn't gone as far as it should. So you are right. Uh, it's still very compartmentalized. I think it's compartmentalized because that, that's the way we're brought up to think from the time we start going to school. Yeah, and that's just the way we, again, assumptions. We assume that's the world, that's what the world is, is really like. But it's not. The world is uh, the biosphere. It is a unity. And that term unity with a capital U is something that I talk about in my last book, Turning Home. And it's something that we, we have to get back to or, or we're, we're fried. I mean, we just, the compartmentalized thinking has brought us to the, the policies that we have today with uh, the environment, with uh, international relations, with each other. And it's a big mistake. So I think we're starting to learn that we have to take a, a non-compartmentalized approach to all this. Uh, but you're right, in the paranormal, which to me is the key to understanding everything, that it's a problem. And, and that's one of the problems is people realizing, that okay, you're, what are you doing when you're hunting ghosts? Okay, well, you're, you're trying to prove there's an afterlife. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, Why? Everybody before us, every culture knew that there was God and afterlife and all these things. Well, what are we trying to prove? We're the stupid ones. The burden of proof is on the disbelievers, in my opinion. But they don't go any farther. They're trying to prove there's an afterlife. They don't go any farther than that. I'm interested in, okay, sure, you got. Go, what does it mean? And it is connected with UFOs and all these different, if you want to say, worlds or whatever. What does that mean? Uh, how do we react to it? What does it mean for our understanding of God, our relations with each other? I mean, this is a comp- not only non compartmentalized, it embraces absolutely every aspect of what we are, what we will be, what we have been, what we must be. This is what the paranormal is about. To compartmentalize everything is a crime, in my opinion, philosophically and otherwise. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, I think we, we just, we, we compartmentalize everything because that's the way we think. Right. Well, West. no, that's, yeah, we are, we are box makers, essentially. Um, we are, yeah. I didn't mean to lecture, but, you know, Ben always... No, no, no. Well, <laughs> we lecture all the time. It's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, you know, along those lines then, you know, there are many people, one of our recent guests, uh, Christopher O'Brien, who's been researching the San Luis Valley, who you know, has a strong feeling that there are areas specifically that seem to lend themselves to a variety of different phenomena, like the Skinwalker Ranch like yeah. the San Luis Valley, like some, a lot of people feel that actually New York, New York City has a large component of that. And, you know, there are some European cities where that's probably true as well. Uh, so at that point, I, I think there's a, a question that has to be asked, which is, what is the role of the observer in all of this? If you have an area like Skinwalker Ranch, where there seemed to be a tremendous amount of activity up until people really started going in and paying attention to it and investigating it, at which point the activity seemed to dramatically fall off. Now, you know, the, the, the skeptibunkers would say, well, that's just proof that it's nothing but a farce. But yet at the same time, there are areas that seem to have weird amounts of activity of all, of all sorts of different kinds. Very recently, 
There's a, an extremely bizarre UFO flap going on down in Argentina uh, with a lot of cattle mutilations, with some weird anomalous beings showing up. And, you know, some of it is nonsense, but at the same time, some of the cattle mutilation and UFO activity in Argentina has been extreme, or like Mexico City, which has seen a huge amount of UFO activity really since the early 90s. It's been an ongoing wave there that's now, it's, you know, it's almost, almost uh, 20 years it's coming up on. So at, at what point do you think there is this idea that there are geographic areas that lend themselves to this kind of stuff, whether or not there are people even there to witness it? Well, uh, it has a lot to do with, like, oh, what's the word? Uh, I can't remember the name of the word. <laughs> Well, electromagnetic energy. Yeah, that electromagnetic yeah. energy and like the geography and like topography, all that stuff. Yeah, well, there are factors there, but you know how I start my lecture program. You've heard it five hundred times. Yep. I show a picture of the planet Earth. I said, "This is the place. The whole place is haunted, if you will." And John Keel referred to the, our haunted planet. That was the title of one of his books, as a matter of fact. And, and we find that everywhere you go. You know, I, I'm kind of amused when I get the question, well, is New England more haunted than other places? You know, well, well yeah, it depends on your point of view. And the answer is really no. The entire planet, the normal state of the planet is to be, quote, unquote, haunted. To have in what I would describe or what we would describe as worlds passing back and forth, seeing strange creatures and all these energies interacting and doing things. But uh, there do seem to be areas that uh, are, I'm not going to say triangles because that's arbitrary, that do seem to have more activity than others. Maybe because people more people live there and they notice more or... Fewer people live there, and there are fewer distractions for the people who do live there to notice more. You know, but I think generally it's a normal state of the planet. You mentioned Skinwalker Ranch, and uh, one of the cases we're working on right now was one of Ben's first after, after the haunted policeman, and it was in central Connecticut. And I mentioned this on Coast to Coast. I probably shouldn't have. But it uh, it started out as a quote-unquote ghost case uh, in an old farmhouse of 1783. Uh, and the family, the same family, has been living there ever since, and they're apparently still living there all six generations. That was your first, um, one of your first cases. Yeah, it was. And uh, I remember sitting there in that dining room, and you, you could feel people. Yeah, you could just feel people walking behind you, just going about their day, and just like doing their, doing their thing. And you got some pretty good pictures there, too, as well. Uh, first time we'd ever used a video camera, too, so that, that, was, that, that was fun. That failed. Well, we got an interesting shot of a, of a cloaked figure, not a cloaked figure, but a, almost a priest-like figure uh, with his head very tall, walking past uh, an area in the basement. And, of course, it turned out to be just, uh, you know, you were you were shaking the camera a la Blair Witch Project. And yeah, uh, th this thing was sort of uh, just actually an oil tank with a head on it. That's but actually a very popular <laughs> technique to shake the camera. Yeah, exactly. The cinematography or whatever. But uh, the case has been extremely interesting. And this is why you spend years on a case, because you uncover more and more and more. You get to know the people, whether they're honest or not. And you get to know the area, and you let the site teach you. And that's, in my opinion, how you learn when you don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. So this particular area has been uh, sort of a skinwalker rancher. Now it's uh, morphed into a, a ghost-slash-UFO case, uh, and there is a possible uh, UFO uh, center or flap going on in this area, and more and more people are coming forward to talk to us about it. Uh, some of the neighbors, uh, there apparently are, are armed troops involved, so we're told, and we're, we're about to... Uh, we have a medical situation in the family. We can't get away right now, but very soon we hope to get over there and start pursuing uh, that 
that angle of it uh, ourselves and seeing hopefully we won't get arrested or shot, but there are supposedly um, uh, secured areas there, and, and it all has to do with the energies in this area, I'm sure. Hey, guys, we are going yes, to be breaking for our hourly break. Was it that fast? Yes, it was that fast. And before we do that, can you tell our listeners where to find more of the things that you do? Sure. Uh, our main website, www.newenglandghosts.com, and the show website, behindtheparanormal.com. Okay, behindtheparanormal.com. By the way, we have that linked at theparacast.com. So when you click on the names Paul and Ben Eno, you'll magically open up a new page on your browser, and there will be no parasites there at all <laughs> hope not we'll be back with ben and paul eno on the other side of the paracast welcome back to the paracast with gene steinberg and david Vietti. we'll say it again ben and paul eno and we're reversing the age and beauty preferences here to give everyone a chance to talk about these things Let's focus just a little bit on the subject that we deal with so much here on the Paracast, which is UFOs. And obviously you're seeing it as part of an overall mystery. So what do you think about the nuts and bolts people who say, folks, it's got to be spaceships? Well, uh, it's it's not. I don't know. what I'm not a UFO expert, neither is Ben, but we're learning very quickly because... Uh, in the past few years, we've, we've found many cases leading us into UFOs as part of flaps or starting out with ghosts and this sort of thing and ending up with that. Nuts and bolts, sure, it could be, uh, but I think we can't. Once you once you start deciding what these things are and closing yourself off to other possibilities, I think you're killing the uh, the intellectual pursuit here, and you're, you're ruining the answers in some ways. And you can't limit limit yourself to this. So. Personally, I'm interested in the nuts and bolts thing from the perspective of human origins. Uh, we do two shows on human origins, and I talk about it in my last book. And I think that Von Daniken didn't get it quite right. And I'm just referring to Eric Von Daniken, who thought that these were that he was a nuts and bolts guy. Uh, our earliest ancestors were influenced by aliens visiting from another planet and spaceships and all this sort of thing. And that is... Uh, presumed uh, by various artworks and things of this kind and, and legends that, that people have handed down. Well, maybe so, but maybe not. I think the possibilities presented by the multiverse, as we say, are, are many. Uh, one is that people with nuts and bolts craft could travel through, if you want to say, wormholes uh, or, or across the boundaries of these worlds and get here that way. Uh, or, uh, and this is what really kind of gave it away for me, if you look at some of the most ancient documents of uh, our race, whether they be, or at least of our known history, uh, whether they be Genesis, uh, whether they be the Atrahasis of the Akkadians, whether they be the Karsag epics of the Sumerians, they say something very, they say essentially the same thing. And when you read them in the original language, and I can read ancient Babylonian, but I can get through Hebrew, you're looking at Eden, okay, as an ancient agricultural colony. And this is what, what this is one way to interpret it if you read it in the original and take out the divine imagery, and you have people in you have over three hundred in the Bible alone over three hundred examples of craft that seem to be uh, intruding upon our time and space, uh, either hovering or 
or traveling at great speeds or, or doing something uh, in the name of God, uh, such as the, the pillar of fire that kept the Egyptians and the, the uh, Israelites apart at the Red Sea, things like that. And it does really make you wonder. Uh, I personally interpret this as, as being people uh, like us from other parts of the multiverse, other space or time uh, visitors who came in and just happened to probably stumble through and do so accidentally and then make the best of a bad situation by <laughs> uh, using their technology to uh, uh, pretend to be gods or whatever or to get people to work for them. I mean, anybody can interpret this stuff any way they want. But as far as nuts and bolts, maybe, maybe not. Uh, whoever they, they were or are, their DNA does not seem to be all that different from us if you uh, look at it from that point of view, and that means that they might very well be us. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, I'm sure you're familiar with the Rendlesham uh, forest case. Oh, in absolutely, sure. 1980. Uh, I was very, I was very interested when there was a, a, uh, I guess a, a hypnotism session, and you and hypnotism. That's there's yeah, no question marks around. We know, that too. yeah, no. We had John Burroughs on the show who talked specifically. He was the one who had some who seemed to vanish for like 25 minutes. Okay, he was the, the soldiers who was then hypnotized and. Uh, talked about having some sort of communication with these things. Who well, touching the craft itself? No, that was that was Jim Peniston. That was one of the. Oh, others. that was Jim Peniston. I'm sorry. Thank you for right. the correction. That was Peniston. Yeah, no. Uh, okay. uh, we've covered the Rendlesham uh, event quite a bit, and recently Burroughs came on and talked about how during a hypnosis session he seemed to indicate that these things indicated to him in some sort of a. It's not. It, it's still not clear to us what the nature of the conversation was, but that. They indicated they were from our future. Well, that, that's perfectly believable, because uh, whether whether you're going through wormholes and the string theory sense, or whether you're nipping across the the boundaries of multiple worlds, as I might put it, uh, yeah, they could be. And of course, what, what is, that's an arbitrary term, future and past. I mean, as as uh, physicists might tell you, well, they really they're just functions of our consciousness. They have no really objective reality. You, you could be saying we've got all these uh, parallel worlds that, that are all existing at the same time. Some are past, some are future, whatever. But that's 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 what I've seen in the paranormal. That's the best explanation. But I could be wrong. But as far as the nuts and bolts are concerned, yeah, you can have nuts and bolts mixed with the multiverse concept. You can have uh, they could be spiritual entities uh, pretending to be real entities. You know, I mean, who knows? I think the more we find out, the more we realize we don't know. As I said, or, or some combination of all the above, or some, some combination of all the. Right. Uh, you know, I think for, for us box makers, we try to put a, a specific type of thing in a specific box. But I think it's pretty clear on the Paracast, we, we tend to feel strongly that there's multiple sources, there's multiple phenomena happening that appear to be related. In the same way that there's multiple stuff that appears to not be related that might be, different types of UFOs are potentially coming from different things. One of, one of the... the good examples of this. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but very recently out of Mexico City, there's been some fairly widely publicized footage of this thing in the sky spewing out this string of spheres. That well, then, I haven't seen that. Well, you haven't seen no. that. Well, I've seen, seen things like it. but Right. I'll send you guys links to this. Um, Thank you. It's really interesting stuff, but there's, you know, and, and it, it's automatically had the UFO label attached to it. Oh, there are UFOs. This is some kind of new ship. And I'll tell you, I look at that stuff, and it looked to me like this was some sort of life form. The way these things were flying around, they exhibited what we call flocking motion, which in computer animation terms is like if you have a series of birds that are moving together in the air that have independent motion, but 
are working are, are sort of flying in certain types of patterns that are very organic in the way that they sort of uh, uh, zip around. These little spheres seem to be doing just that. It didn't look like any kind of conventional craft. It looked like a life form to, to my eyes. And so, you know, very often when we talk about things like the light spheres that move around, um, and, and I'm going to ask you about that because you guys actually said that on one of these, uh, one of your trips, you saw these lights moving around trees and stuff. Oh, no, that was right here at our own home. But let me, let me just comment on what you said, yeah. Dave, because I think you really hit it on the head. These experiences seem to be a very subjective in many ways, and yet people are struck by the kinds of the, the tremendous variety of craft and entities they see. When you were speaking, what came to mind was it was a guest we had two weeks ago who was a local fellow here. Now, we're in northern Rhode Island, uh, which doesn't impress anybody, but, but <laughs> it, it, was the, uh, it was the site of a, of a, of a somewhat well-known UFO flap in 1967, and the particular fellow we had as a guest was a, a colleague of ours at WON, and he has his own daily talk show, which has nothing to do with the paranormal generally. And he said things on our show that he had never said locally. Uh, and he published. Uh, he used to publish Probe magazine and this sort of thing. And he had photographs of something you Excuse just... Excuse me, uh, what was the name of this person? I'm familiar with that magazine's name. Oh, okay, that's uh, Joe Ferrier. Oh, of course. Oh, okay, so you right, he's, he's that well-known. I told you yeah. he's well-known, Ben. Yeah, yeah so, his awesome uh, hair. Yeah, yeah, his awesome hair. He is sort of a, he, he can, and it's just real hair too. I got to tell you, it's not a wig. <laughs> really, uh, he's um, uh, Elvis Presley lookalike, only a little bit older, but a wonderful, wonderful guy, real gentleman, uh, terrific guy on the air too. So anyway, we had a great show with him, and his photographs uh, were rather striking, and they were of a of a long cigar shaped craft, uh, and he described uh, his. Uh, experience of this as, as doing what you just said, uh, releasing a uh, smaller craft. And this is something, as you know, that you hear frequently. And so uh, the uh, the variety of these craft and the way they're interpreted from ancient times through today, you know, the ancients used to talk about flying shields, uh, the people in the, you know, the uh, late 19th century would talk about flying cigars and all this sort of thing. And um, the, the simple variety of these things makes you makes you think that it's not just one or two uh, civilizations, uh, nuts and bolts visiting us. It could be people from various times and places and all this business, uh, material or not, or material in another sense. And again, it just it just uh, prompts more questions, which I think makes it more fascinating. Right. Well, there is also the subjective factor with UFOs, which is that we are interpreting it in a way that we understand. So if we expect Absolutely. gods coming down from the skies in that's what you'll times, get exactly but yeah. today we expect in our star trek star wars society to see et well that's true i mean we uh, we've come to grips as it were with the klingons and the denizens of the planet of the apes i think we're about ready for anything but there, there are other especially issues those klingons i gotta tell you Oh boy, yeah. Well, I'm I'm perfectly prepared. But uh, you, you asked about the uh, the lights that, that we we right. saw. We had our first show in June of night of 2008, and we had uh, just finished uh, the second show, and we had had all sorts of problems with the link up to the Phoenix uh, studio. Of course, us being in New England, and you know, you got the distance today isn't what it was with the internet. But we had all kinds of audio problems that day, yeah. and went off the air several times. And uh, there was some they, they couldn't fi the engineer couldn't figure it out. And all. Why don't you tell us what happened later? You came running down about an hour after the show. Yeah, I couldn't really like sleep, so I was just like lying there staring out my window. I, I saw like this light like fly by like one of the like not not like a 
not like a clock tower, but like a like a church tower. It's a church thing. steeple. We're up on a hill. Yeah. And pretty much see everything. And like the lights were like flashing on and off, and that never happened because the lights are constantly on at that place. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of messed up. So I'm staring at it, and I keep seeing this light like fly by, and the lights like flash every time like it flies by. So I'm like, oh, I should probably go tell my dad about this. I go run down the stairs. I'm like, Dad, come check this out. Like, so we go in our attic. He doesn't see anything for like five minutes. And I start, then we start. I start like pointing stuff at. He's like, oh man, I see that too. So for like, I don't know, like five, ten minutes, we were just like looking around, and we kept like seeing like all these like random streaks of light and stuff like that. What color but, were these lights? What color? Were um, they? kind of off white. Yeah, like like you can see them, but like just barely. You have to like really look. Well, I can see them pretty clearly, but they were, you know what they reminded me of? Orbs that you see in so-called ghost photographs. Yeah. You know, and again, here's another possible connection. How many of these things that you see in the sky are related, perhaps, to these orbs? And I have a, I have a theory that these things are actually living uh, plasma-based life forms, and Carl Sagan uh, and a few other astrophysicists, astrobiologists, I should say, speculated about uh, the existence of plasma-based life forms, and... Um, uh, th- that's one possibility. Uh, skyfish, rods. You wonder how many times these are mistaken for UFOs. I've seen those, uh, I believe, on a number of occasions and caught some well, photographs. Yeah, um, the, the, this is where I'm, I'm going to have to do my normal role on the show. All of the rod stuff that's been resolved photographically, there's that Jose Escamilla guy with his rods thing. Yeah. Uh, all basically insects being distorted on video because of the artifacting of the way that uh, 30 frame per second uh, uh, video works. Um, I, I've seen zero examples of, uh, of footage that are compelling that, that, that purport to be rods. That's I hear stuff. you. I'll, I'll go on the record here, and listeners of the show know about my technical background. That stuff's just, for the most part, just, just bunk. Um, okay. Right. Now, when it comes to, to orbs, okay, what most people resolve as orbs on still photographs are pretty obviously uh, dust particles with flashes reflected all of the, uh, near them, near the lens. Um, the vast majority of the orb stuff I've seen is just that they're dust particles. But there is a piece of video footage. Now, I don't know if you guys know about this particular situation. If you don't, boy, do you want to know about this because... In my professional opinion, one of the most incredible and absolutely, utterly convincing pieces of paranormal video I've, uh, of any sort that I've ever seen is from uh, this fellow Steve Lee and his home in the Black Forest of Colorado. Now, this guy has set up uh, surveillance cameras on his property. They've had a, a, all sorts of phenomena happening there. But he has footage of light-emitting orbs that are floating around trees that absolutely compelling. And then there's a piece of footage inside his home of one of these things coming right up to the camera lens. And it is absolutely, uh, in my opinion, uh, legitimate, genuine. The thing appears to be some sort of living entity. It's it's definitely a, some sort of a creature. It is leaving some sort of a trail behind it. It actually what it looks like it looks like it is a light emitting object that is essentially uh, portraying what would normally be called fluid dynamics as if it were basically floating in some sort of a fluid medium except it's moving through the air and and the way that the tendrils are coming off this thing it looks like 
it's in a liquid medium, except it's in the air. Now, that would actually point towards some sort of a plasma entity. And, and again, if you guys haven't seen this footage, I will, I will send you a link to this as well. Please this do. Is, yeah. <laughs> it, it is the single most compelling piece of video footage of any of the paranormal sandbox that you want to pull from. This thing is its definitely not hoaxed. I'd be willing to bet my professional reputation this thing is real. It is definitely alive. The way it moves, it moves with intent. It moves with an agenda. Um, and, and as I said, when you look at it, I can comfortably say there is absolutely no way to fake this. It doesn't look like, well, he's got a bunch of footage, but the stuff, this thing that he shot inside the living room, this doesn't look like anything else I've seen. And, and the reason I'm so fascinated by this is that this Mexico City footage, even though it's at a distance and it's daylight, there's something oddly reminiscent to me about this Black Forest stuff that this guy Steve Lee shot. That, again, is just, it, it sort of indicates this reality, this potential reality of life forms that we simply don't know about yet. Absolutely. Is your IRS tax problem ruining your life? Hi, I'm Ronnie Deutsch. Don't be another IRS victim, and please don't give up hope. Call me today and let's do something about it. If you have tax problems, call Ronnie Lynn Deutsch, a professional tax corporation, at 800-515-4541. That's 800-515-4541 for your free and confidential tax analysis. That's 800-515-4541 for your free tax guide. Call Ronnie Deutsch's law firm and speak with them today. Not available in New York. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You know, Neighbor is one of the hardest jobs in organizing this show and our websites was finding the right host to get everything online. We've used a number of these companies, and there are lots of good ones to choose from, but the very best is one and one Internet. One and one Internet is part of United Online. It's a large European telecom company that's been in business since the 1980s. So you can bet they know what they're doing, and there are millions of individuals and companies out there who depend on one and one Internet to get online and stay online. Right now, one and one Internet is having a big special. From the cheapest email hosting package to the large dual quad-core server that we're using, you can bet that you'll get a full package of the services you really need at a price that's far lower than you might expect. From registering a domain to hosting a full-fledged business site, use the same host we do, one and one Internet. To get the latest special deals, point your browser to theparacast.com slash host. That's theparacast.com slash host for the best value in hosting your personal or business sites. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We have Paul and Ben Eno this week. They are paranormal talk show hosts, therefore they are friends of ours because they have a reasonable approach to the subject. And what is not reasonable is that every so often we discuss something on this show 
and we're doing a network connection, and that network connection fails. You know, that's that kind of thing. Skype. That's, that's just technology being fallible, as it always is. Yes, that's technology it. is basically attacking us. <laughs> it just but doesn't like us. And bites yeah. do not like us. Yeah, I, I hear that. Yeah, well, we were talking about orbs, and uh, I think you made a terrific point. And uh, some of the UFOs, etc., could be you know living creatures. Now I, I've seen now Ben is we've all, we've both seen orbs, uh, but I probably have a little bit more experience with them. Uh, I've been in situations where they uh, approach you in an, it was seemingly an intelligent manner, very much like what you described on this video. They will back off when you approach them. They will seem to at times play with each other. They will change colors. You know, mood orbs, maybe. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, they, they do seem to be uh, act in an intelligent manner. But of course, so does ball lightning. And the question is, what are they? My operating theory is that they are plasma-based life forms that feed around the boundaries of multiple worlds. And I believe I have photographs of those boundaries. And uh, when you look at them, there are a couple on NewEnglandGhost.com and the Ghosts of Connecticut from this very house, this Connecticut Skinwalker Ranch, as we describe it, where you have these brilliant streaks of light, sometimes in circular form, that, in my opinion, uh, could be the boundaries of parallel worlds. And on one side of the light, you see uh, one room. On another side of the light, you see uh, almost another room sort of interposed over that somehow. And uh, that's where, uh, in my experience, you see a lot of orbs is around these boundaries. So that's one. That's our working theory of what those are. On the other hand, who knows? Very large ones, interpreted as UFOs sometimes. Uh, and, of course, they assume it's nuts and bolts and assumptions will kill you every time. Paul, as you've indicated, your original educational foundation was in, in divinity school. A, what's your religious worldview? How does it coexist with your looking into the realm of the paranormal? Okay, that's a really good and loaded question. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well, as I say, I spent 10 years in seminaries, Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox. And as I say, they uh, gave me my congé uh, two years before ordination about because they didn't like my involvement in the paranormal. Now, people think that people who are studying to be clergy, uh, particularly priests, are educated in how to deal with the paranormal in case they have to perform exorcisms. Well, that's not true. There is virtually no education about this subject. There are hand-picked people who generally will go to Rome to study at, not always, but to study at the Pontifical Gregorian University, people from North America, uh, who uh, will be educated in this subject, or at least their narrow view of it, and will come back and will become the uh, expert on this for their particular diocese, which is a regional group of institutions and parishes headed by a bishop. Uh, and th this is essentially how that works. Otherwise, they're not really educated about this. So they didn't like me doing this, even though I was working under some of the greatest names of at the time, Father John Nicola, who was the Jesuit priest who was the technical advisor for the film The Exorcist. Also, uh, Dr. Louisa Ryan, uh, who, with whom I corresponded before she died, and also, of course, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who were very controversial, but nevertheless were good friends of mine. And you did, I did see a lot and learn a lot from them. So uh, this is a sort of uh, the way that I started out. By the time five or six years had gone by and I'd been out in the trenches on my own and seen things and tried to look at them in different ways, uh, there's very little 
that I learned from those uh, excellent people that I still believe because I've just seen it from an entirely different point of view, much of which we've talked about on the show here. So um, my theological perspective is um, I don't really talk about that because I have a lot of people to relate to, and I'm always getting blamed for not espousing other people's religious beliefs. You know, and uh, suffice it to say that I try to cultivate a deep spirituality, so does Ben. Uh, we work together on that, too, as a matter of fact. Yeah. We have a lot of protection. We um, even at times sort of share each other's dreams at night as very interesting. I think it's funny. Uh, yeah, it is. But we learn from each other. And uh, let me just hit you right there, okay? Yeah. Sharing dreams. Can you give us an example or two? Well, there was one. What was it, two nights ago where we started out in the same place and uh, we kind of separated and went our different ways. And I, I, he started the dream and I finished it. Uh, when we talked about it the next day. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, I'm not sure what that really means. It's, it's this has only sort of just begun. Yeah. So I can't really speak uh, in any informed way about it until more more occurs. Um, I don't know what it really means. I'm, I'm going to try to find out, though. Our guest on the weekly uh, WON show is Dr. Arthur Barnard, the, the uh, expert in dreams. So we'll see what he might be able to contribute. But uh, religiously, um, uh, I cultivate a rule of prayer. Uh, and uh, Jesus, of course, is one of my oldest personal friends. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't think my theological point of view would fit into any organized church at this point or whatever i don't know you're sounding like a jesuit to me that's probably <laughs> that's what that's what my girlfriend might say and she actually went to fordham and uh yeah no she uh, she hung out with the jesuits and uh i find was, it yeah i'm sorry no, I, I find it almost disconcerting that so many clergy like my books I don't know. <laughs> things must have changed in the catholic church a lot since my day don't um, tell they, the pope no, no. no well, okay. Maybe he has a copy under his bed at night, you know? Well, one never knows. I actually, I have a friend who works at the Vatican. I'll have to have him go look. But uh, anyway, I, I, there's an Orthodox priest locally here who's, who's a, a big fan of our show. And, and I, I, um, I don't know what I'm saying that they like so much. I hope it's, it's, it's the message of love and the ultimate message of unity that they like, uh, because that, I think, uh, would be good. But I don't know. But to, to answer your question, I really can't answer your question. Okay, that's fair enough. This is something that obviously comes up a lot because people, a lot of people feel that uh, belief in the paranormal, and, and I always have a huge problem with that statement right there, uh, in that I don't really have, uh, personally, this is my personal view, I don't have much use for belief. Um, I'm someone who likes to understand and know things. So believing things is not something I, I, I tend to do very often. I, I look for for reality um and, and in that sense uh you know gene and i are both new york jews neither of, of of whom is practicing at this point i'm pretty sure i'm accurate with that statement right gene oh practicing never perfect yeah well <laughs> but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well but you know well, people yeah. people look at, at the paranormal almost you know or, or or our interest in it and i think that quite frankly uh, uh paul and ben people would look at Gina, myself, and look at you two guys and say, oh, these guys believe in the paranormal. And, and belief ends up being kind of this really negative term also in terms of, you know, I think there are people who would say, and I'm not saying I say, I'm saying that we're saying this, but uh, people would say, well, if you have a strong religious belief, now potentially you're someone who is open themselves up maybe almost too much, and maybe that belief ends up sometimes overshadowing logic 
I, I get this all the time. Oh, no, and so do I. And I think yeah, I, I, I respect your approach. But uh, And again, we're dealing with words that may not be quite adequate. But the term belief, in my opinion, really does apply to everything. I think science, as we call it, has just as many assumptions as paranormal research. Uh, I think that we, we assume that um, – and again, this gets back to us really knowing nothing – Every We have to operate somehow on some kind of belief system, no matter how minimal, or else we couldn't get through our day. I mean, you have to believe that the sun's going to come up, that you have to go to work, uh, that you know, you have to eat now and then. I mean, they, they, these are all beliefs, okay? They, they may be necessities, but you still believe you have to do them. So, so well, belief is, is an important part of things. And I think when you uh, – it, it takes a certain amount of faith to believe anything. So maybe we're – I don't know, maybe we're just running around the same no, point here. I got to stop you there, Paul, because I think that uh, somebody who heard that, who tends to listen to our show, would say, "You don't have to believe in the sun coming up; it's coming up, whether you believe it or not. It's happening. Um, whether you believe that. you have, well, I mean, I mean, the sun's going to come up, whether we're even here to see it. So, so again, uh, it, it, and of course, discussing these topics in any way puts you instantly into a place where there's very little to hold on to and and again i'm just playing devil's advocate for a moment where someone would say look science is it's about belief in uh the scientific method and it's to some extent empirical uh reality now when they say that you know you can take somebody who knows nothing about physics right and they can knock on a on a tabletop and go this is solid now a scientist knows that that's not true Scientists knows that most matter, as we know it, is actually empty space. You know, right. the, amount, the amount of space in between the electron halo and the uh, the nucleus of the atom um, is vast, and so and that's empty space. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, really, what ends up happening is that I think people look to science. Essentially, people are looking to science as a religion because it is empirical, and because it's repeatable. And that's where I think a lot of people have a problem with the paranormal sandbox in that very little in the sandbox is quantifiable very little is verifiable and then there's the problem of instrumentation how do you measure things when you don't know what it is you're measuring well we're box building again and you're talking to a guy with a philosophy degree who can tell you that there is an opinion in philosophy that empiricism is dead very often because of of quantum mechanics and the, the sheer fantasy that seems to take over after you get past the physical world. Now, again, uh, assumptions uh, are... every The scientific method have the greatest respect for scientists who are honest, as I do for paranormal investigators who are honest and open. The scientific method is based on assumptions that the world is essentially matter and uh, is based on the interactions between matter and other matter. And energy is in there, of course, to help effectuate the change. It's based on uh, the assumption that you can define reality by, I suppose, building a road from here to there, and those are the principles you apply to that, therefore it applies to all of reality, and it doesn't. The paranormal, what it really is paranormal, is something that is outside of all that, in my opinion. You can't define it in the same way you can define road building from point A to point B. And I think that the, half the frustration comes from us straining and sweating to make it fit. And so everybody's running around, especially the feral ghost hunters, with all these devices they really don't understand that can be affected by radar arrays eight miles away and EMF meters and things like that. And it's it's ludicrous, in my opinion. Uh, I think what we have to do 
to learn about reality, whether it be scientifically, religiously, paranormal, whatever, is to shut up. Two words. Before we shut up too much here. No, well, you're on a talk show, right? Hi, this is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer to the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos and it's all for free or drop us a line mr ufo at webtv.net you've entered another dimension you've entered the paracast We have Paul and Benino, and we're not going to shut up until they stop us. How's that? <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I, I, thank you for qualifying that. But essentially, this is how you learn from a site. You get down there, and, and, and you, you be quiet, and you let it teach you. This is one of the problems we're having in one of our cases right now, and Ben has pointed it out, Yeah, that he's able to be quiet and absorb while, while the, the person who's involved in the case is talking my ear off. And it drives me crazy. you gotta, you got to tell people... To just be quiet, let the site teach you, let's find out what's going on by being quiet, have no assumptions, and see what happens. Then you observe and you interpret as best you can. Now, that's flawed as well, because you don't know. But I think that, that science is, is just as flawed as naked belief, shall I use the term? Uh, I think that we're, we're all at square one. But I, but I think that, that, that there is something that might point us in the right direction. I don't believe that we're the bee's knees when it comes to the modern generation our, our, since science began to take over at the so-called enlightenment in the 18th century and, and now we, we, we know nature better than our ancestors did and we can predict things and you know the mechanical approach, the materialistic approach uh, that we've taken is, is uh, the uh, summit of knowledge first of all we, we've trashed the planet and our spirituality along with it which I think indicates that we're on the wrong track and secondly I think that we're, we're negating the idea that our ancestors were not stupid. Our ancestors, and I, from the remotest ones in the last ice age all the way up to, to uh, recent times and to today in so-called primitive tribes, believe in God. No, they don't only believe it, they know it. Just as you said, you know the sun's going to come up. They knew about God, one form or another. They knew about the paranormal. They knew about, in my opinion, the multiverse. That's the term I would use. They have other terms. They've told me this. Australian Aboriginal uh, elder, 30,000 years of unbroken tradition. Andaman Islanders, 65,000 years of unbroken tradition. Bushmen, 
Khan and Khoisan Bushman, both traditions, 150,000 years of unbroken tradition, at least genetically, uh, with them, uh, their genes can be traced back reliably to the last mass extinction. I mean, these people know what they're talking about. They think that we are funny in, in a humorous sense because we just don't get it. And we hide behind all sorts of belief systems, including science, to avoid what they already know. That's my opinion, and that's how I would answer the uh, the question of you know mm-hmm. what we, we we've been talking about. I just think right. we need to listen not just to our sites we're investigating, but to the people who came before us because they knew. What, the, what I would say to that, and, and I agree with you, I think that fundamentalism is essentially counterproductive, whether it's religious fundamentalism or scientific fundamentalism. To, to my way of seeing things, uh, a good scientist is someone who's highly inquisitive. And, you know, basically, you don't try to take reality and force it into a scientific view. What you're supposed to do with the scientific method is observe what's going on and derive theories from the observations, not fit, take the observations and try to fit them to the theories. That's right. not very sound science. Yeah. But that's a, that's Now, I also want to say, though, I want to correct you one thing you said, which was that scientists tend to look at things as matter interacting with matter. I think... Einstein pretty much set that ship to sail. I mean, basically... Well, and, and quantum physics in general has, yes. Right. Now, and quantum physics right now has its own challenges. I just recently finished reading uh, Dean Radin's The, uh, the, the Conscious Universe, um, oh, yeah. which actually makes some very cogent arguments for, the, for a paranormal reality and framework. Mm-hmm. Some of the most uh, relevant stuff I've read along those lines... You know, something we've talked about in the show is that, you know, maybe what we need to do at this point is start to realize that this thing called spirituality, which, uh, you know, science-minded people sort of sort of shuffle aside, maybe that has to come back into a vectoring with science so that perhaps we can get to some third state of mind that maybe doesn't exist yet. And perhaps all of this paranormal stuff is trying to push us towards that. It's I think yeah, that's very well put. That's very well put. And you know, and when you look at science and religion, uh, they're constantly supposedly at each other's throats. But who is the mother of both science and religion? It's the paranormal. You know, if there'd been no questions, no unexplained phenomena, no no, no uh, seeing your loved ones after they died, or, or no questions about why the sun comes up, there would be no science or any religion if there were no if there was nothing unexplained. So they're siblings who don't necessarily get along, but who should? <laughs> Sounds familiar, Ben. Yeah. I have a question for you. So here you are. You're 17 years old. Yep. You're doing this stuff. Your name is associated with it. You're, you're putting yourself out there. So what do your friends think about this? Well, most of my good friends, they're just sort of, like, used to it. So, like, oh, you hunt ghosts. Cool. All the people, like, I just meet or whatever, they're like, oh, my God, you hunt ghosts. I want to go with you. Like, <laughs> no. Like, no, we don't, we don't, we don't do Paranormal that stuff. tourism. But they're, they're cool that they're just like, oh, cool. You should just do your thing. You're still the same person on the inside, so it's all good. Yeah, it, is, it doesn't go to his head. I mean, you look at our website, we're working on a million hits, and it, it doesn't, doesn't really seem real. But I thought it was cute. What We were at, we were speaking at that restaurant one time, and, and uh, I was signing books, and somebody said, Oh, Ben, can I have your autograph, too? So <laughs> I thought that was nice. No, that, I, I wasn't there. That was John. And they were, John's like, Oh, I'm not Ben. Well, I, I thought you were there. Well, I'm having a, a parallel world experience then, I guess. Uh-oh. You're but, a senior uh, moment. <laughs> yeah, senior Yes, thank you, for, thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I do that to Gene all the time. <laughs> uh, 
But now, now, see, the thing has been, okay, so they're accepting of it, but are they, uh, you know, do they have an interest in it beyond, oh, yeah, that's cool, can I come along and see that? I mean, do they do they ask you about this stuff? Do they engage you in conversations, or is it just that they're accepting of it, and it's like, uh, okay, you know, Ben is into that, now let's go play baseball. You know, is that... Some, like, some of them are. Some of them I get, like, deep conversations with them. Like, others are just like, yeah, whatever. But mostly the ones I get into deep conversations with, I had no clue they were into the paranormal in the first place. Hmm. So I start talking to them, and I'm, like, starting to get to know them, like, really well, just because of, like, paranormal investigation. <laughs> but they're not, they're not, like, do you find that they have, like, sort of an attitude about it, or are they sort of inquisitive to, I don't know if I'm making myself, I'm definitely not making myself clear here. I, uh, just, I understand. I think I understand what you're saying. Well, they... They have, like, some of them have, like, tra- the traditional, like, point of view, like, oh, goes to my grandma, kind of thing. Others are just like, I don't really understand it, but maybe you can give me some sort of understanding as to what it is, that kind of thing. The reason I asked this is that when, when I was, I, I had a boatload of really weird paranormal stuff happening as I was growing up, and I didn't talk to any of my friends about it, ever. I mean, I really, it's not something that, that, that ever came up in conversation. I, I specifically steered away from it because I was like, and my parents were both very supportive of, of my interest in this stuff when I was younger because they were going through a bunch of experiences with me. I mean, we were going through this as a family, and um, we kind of kept it in the family because we we didn't know how people would respond. And so basically, it was the kind of thing we didn't talk about. At the same time, uh, we didn't have a, I didn't have a picture of me and my dad on the web with the thing behind the paranormal behind us. So, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different level of visibility. But That's how things change. Things change yeah. when you get involved in this crazy field. Yeah, so everyone comes to expect me to have like crazy paranormal experiences like all the time. So it's like they have. I guess it's more of a presumption than anything. Well, we do have our crazy paranormal experiences. Yeah, we, yeah. we live on this. Not to change the subject, we live on this on this really weird hill, and this is in the area where we had this 1967 paranormal flap, and where we saw these these lights around this steeple. And there was an experience. There's a cat uh, here who lives next door. He thinks he belongs to us, and he's very nice, but he has a an annoying tendency to, to teleport himself through solid walls. And it's happened three times. Uh, once I was right there when it happened, and I heard a thump, and I turned. I had just locked him out of the house because my wife doesn't like him in the house. And I was uh, working on my treadmill in our sunroom, and all of a sudden I heard a thump, and there he was. I just locked him out. And he couldn't have, there's no window open or anything else. So a lot of strange, there are some legends associated with this place, too. I guess in a way it gets back to your question about certain areas having being more prone. But um, So, yeah, Ben has his weird experiences, as do I. Yeah, like where I work, it's like five seconds away. I work in the kitchen of like a, like a retirement home. So I'm like, every so often I do like a six to nine shift. It's like just pretty much cleaning up That's after everyone. I'm just, yeah, so I'm just like chilling up at work, doing like nothing. I have like an hour to kill, so I'm just sitting there. I keep, I swear I keep seeing people like in like scrubs just like walking around and I'm like looking around like oh well pff, whatever I, I see this stuff all the time like one time I was like making like a sandwich or something and like I forgot to close the door in the refrigerator I turn around I see an arm come out of nowhere and close it I was like oh alright whatever <laughs> takes it in stride yeah I don't really it doesn't really matter to me I don't really care because it just happens all the time you just get used to it you do get used to it yeah Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. 
that 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. What happens all the time is that we have to introduce guests every 15 or 20 minutes or so. Ben and Paul Eno. Ben, you see you got named first again. Yeah. Okay, so you got first billing. Do you fight your dad over billing, or does he say no, would you I, like your allowance this week? Yeah, I pay the bills. Yeah, especially for yeah. a new phone all that. That's supposed to be a joke. He meant billing. You know, oh, right. Billing. Ha, ha. I'm, I'm tired. God. Yeah. Wish I had that coffee. <laughs> anyway. You, know, you, you yeah. can drink the coffee, man. Just go get the coffee. It's okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel like getting up. Well, frankly, we don't. I don't drink it. We don't know how to make it. Mom makes it. She's uh, she's not here. So anyway, <laughs> but but the, uh, the family dynamic is interesting too. Of course, uh, Jonathan's uh, Ben's older brother, and, and he's uh, our support staff at home. And I only have the two sons, and he's twenty six. But when he was around Ben's age, we, we thought of doing the father son uh, paranormal thing. And when he started sleeping with the lights on, I figured, well, this is not going to work. But you mm-hmm. know, Ben is Ben is a different critter. He's uh, much more at home with us. Yeah, I don't really care. I'm just sort of like there. Yeah, like, laid back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Jonathan, is, uh, he's our support staff at home, takes care of the phones and uh, a lot of the uh, shipping of books when there is a And so he's, uh, the three of us are a pretty good team. Mom doesn't get involved. We've been married for 28 years, but she'll often say, well, I married a writer. Therefore, I expected eccentricities, but nothing like this. <laughs> but she had, I mean, I was doing this years before I met her, so she didn't have a complaint coming. So. Yeah. She, she couldn't make any kind of real case because she knew what she was getting into. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, I was going to quite how much she was getting into, but she's, she's a saint, I'll tell you. <laughs> Dedicated so, my last book tour. As you well should have. Yep. But, because you know. you'd never hear the end of it. <laughs> and mess around with that. But now, okay, so you guys have actually, you've interviewed quite a few people. You both seem really laid back and friendly. Uh, was there ever a case where you had a guest on and you just had to stop them? Because this is something that we, go, we get into all the time. Well, not as often as some people accuse us of doing, but sometimes we have guests on and we just, you know, they, they, they want to hang themselves, so we give them rope and they do it. So when you guys bring on guests, I mean, do you bring on guests thinking, okay, these are people we're definitely going to get along with, so let's bring them on? Or do you sometimes bring on people where you don't know what you're getting into, and during the course of the interview, things start to sort of go south? That's a good question. Uh, I It only happened once. Yeah, well, you're thinking of who well, I'm actually, thinking of? Well, actually, yeah, yeah, the really boring lead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're not going to say who it was. Yeah. But... Say who it was. Like, Come on. Okay, well, no, I don't want to do that. She's very nice. Uh, but she uh, is, I think, kind of a uh, slow... She had no clue what she was talking about. Yeah, we had a few of those, yes. But please I'm, tell, I'm, I'm, because we don't hide the facts of who we felt we had to hang up on. We can go down a list, yeah. Well, we, we never hung up on anybody. But this was... Um, she's an author, and... I'm afraid the name escapes me. Uh, it was... It was like some... 
I don't even remember. It was it was just that. Well, that's just, how boring. That's, yeah, that's how it was boring. That good. All right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. other than that, we've had some some really good people. We had Fred Allen Wolf, the the eminent physicist, and a lot of our listeners wrote in. They said, you know, he was kind of nasty to you, and I don't think he was. I mean, he kind of he kind of he understood where we were, we were coming from. You were you weren't on that show. Nope. Uh, he understood where I was coming from, and he was sort of um, he understood the point of view, uh, the paranormal, and this sort of thing. And I, I don't. I deliberately have people. I don't have. We don't have people who are going to agree with us all the time because I, you know, we, we're not. You know, we're open to the fact, the idea that maybe we're wrong, but you have to operate from some point of view. And so we take this multiverse thing. And he was uh, he was okay with that, uh, but a lot of people thought he was kind of um, a little bit. Uh, Self-assured at the end, maybe some kind of snooty, but I, I, don't, I didn't take it that way. Generally, we to answer your question, don't know what we're going to get. Uh, sometimes we have friends on in this field, because obviously I know a lot of people having been involved so long. Joe Citro from Vermont is an old friend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, yeah, you know Joe. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, Stan Friedman, of course, uh, different people. But again, a lot of times these people are unknown commodities. Uh, sometimes, very often, I'm pleasantly surprised. We had Jeff Belanger on once uh, from, he's practically a neighbor of ours, although I've never met him. He lives in the next town. And Jeff Belanger being the proprietor, or if you will, of, of ghostvillage.com. And I like him personally very much, but I knew that we weren't going to agree on much, uh, paranormally, because he's he's kind of old school. And But I was, I was kind of pleasantly surprised surprised at some of his his more progressive paranormal attitudes but i i i must say and i didn't say this to him but i have to say you know, i love him dearly but i get nervous when anyone who has a marketing background gets involved in the paranormal because god only knows what's going to happen he call he says he's a journalist but he, i think he worked for one arts newspaper in connecticut at one time and i mean i'm a journalist i was a reporter and editor for 30 years. I was at the Metro Daily in Providence. I ran weekly newspapers. Community, community journalism was my career for many, many years. Still is in a way. But for people to be involved in marketing, they, they take the, uh, shall I say, a BS approach very often to the paranormal. And uh, I, I took, to, took him to task about trying to encourage people to bring their children Mm. Into this as though it was some sort of a hobby, and I said that is, and this is the exact words I used. That that is a very reckless and dangerous thing to do. And he said, "Well, people are going to do it anyway." And I said, "Yeah, but that doesn't mean, you know." But I mean, uh, generally, it was um, a good uh, a good conversation. But uh, I didn't agree uh, a lot. But that's what talk shows about. You know, you have give and take, and you different points of view. Uh, other than that, we've had some uh, really great. Other guests, too. I think all of our guests have something to offer, except maybe for that woman we were referring to before. Who, like, in the middle of the interview, asks, oh, am I supposed to say something? Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, and the producer, because this is a talk show, and she asks if she's supposed to say something. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, I uh, you get all Now, kinds. this wasn't someone named Palin, was it? No, no. 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 Oh, jeez. Are you involved in the paranormal? No. But anyway, that that's now. It wasn't anybody like that. But anyhow, uh, fancy your question, we've uh, most of our guests are unknown quantities, but they turn out being very good. I had one guy who, uh, and ben will, ben will tell you how furious I was when I heard about this. He, it's it's uh, Barry Dellinger from creepyconnecticut.com, or maybe it's .net, I don't know, but Creepy Connecticut anyway. Yeah. And he had uh, a couple of my cases uh, on his site, uh, notably the Bridgeport Poltergeist outbreak of 1974, which we, I talked about earlier in the show where I was injured by the television set. And he... Uh, essentially uh, had gone with his group and stood on the sidewalk and looked at the house and come to the conclusion that the whole thing was a big hoax. 
a massive hoax to quote him. So I said, I got to get this guy on the air. We, I got him on the air, and uh, you were on that show, right? Yeah, no, no, maybe, I, I don't remember. Well, anyway, he turned out to be a gracious, articulate fellow who I think uh, just had some assumptions that a lot of them have, and then admitted in the end that maybe he was wrong or, you know, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And he assumed, well, the house is too small. How can all this poltergeist, uh, you know, activity have taken place in this little bungalow? Well, it did. And he said, well, you know, getting hit in the leg by the TV, I'm you sure it wasn't just tottering on a shelf. No, it was a floor model TV that I was standing next to, and bang, it came over on its own and smashed me in the leg and knocked the girl and I across the room, and this sort of thing. But in the end, all things considered, uh, I respected his opinion, and he admitted that he wasn't calling anybody a liar here. So we had a good conversation. Generally, uh, these things turn out to be, uh, I hope, beneficial for all the listeners, too. But as a rule... Yeah, you get a lot of unknown commodities, but we've had good luck so far. And you know, one thing, maybe you've noticed the same thing when you talk about this subject on the air. I was afraid we'd run out of things to talk about, oh, you know, no. when we first started out. And oh my gosh, the opposite has been true. The more you talk about, the more comes up, the more good guests uh, present themselves. And it's just, there's no end to the, to the wonderful conversations you can have about this subject. Well, in our case, what ends up happening is that we have a bit of a reputation now. Yeah. So there are certain people um, who just won't come on our show. They just won't really. Uh, oh yeah, my my favorite example, and Gene might might smirk when I say this. Whitley Strieber, who actually really? had had oh yeah, Strieber had contacted us saying, "I hear I should come on your show," and we tried to arrange it with him, and he just kept blowing us off. And he actually originally contacted us, and and I guess what happened was he he kind of got the sense by maybe listening to some of our episodes or doing some due diligence on us that. Um, we are known for bringing people on and asking questions that sometimes are uncomfortable. And we haven't done that with you guys because, frankly, we're having a good time. So, yeah, uh, so you know, are we. Yeah, so are we. yeah. yeah. And we only have seven minutes left, so wait till we start on you. Well, there you go. No, no. <laughs> well, no, you know what it is? Because you, you're offering your opinions, which is totally fine, and you're not claiming to have absolute answers. Absolutely not. As, as long as you do that, I mean, we'd be willing to talk to anybody who has thoughts about the stuff, but when they start basically presenting it as this is what it is, it's at that point, where do you go? You can't even really have a conversation. And, and there are some people might accuse us of this. We brought some people on. We brought one guy on. This is something we did last year. We brought one guy on, knowing ahead of time that this guy was a criminal, literally a criminal, a charlatan, a, a compulsive liar. We brought him on the show, and we brought him on to expose him, because this was a guy who was creating a tremendous amount of damage, um, and we felt this wasn't appropriate. And and it, this was a guy who had been on a number of shows, and uh, including having been last last summer on Coast to Coast, where George Norrie gave him a massage. We didn't feel good about that. We didn't feel good about that at all, especially when we found out that this guy was a known felon. Uh, oh, uh, he Well, I mean, it came down to the guy, and anybody who listens to our show knows the story oh so well, where he was, among other things, stealing people's puppy money, literally. Puppy and, money? Oh, yeah. Basically, yeah. he was he was a, a dog broker taking people's money. People thought they were getting, you know, a purebred, and they'd get a mutt. Jeez. He was doing this to people. It was just the lowest, most terrible thing. And we, we exposed this guy. And there have been people who have taken us to task for that. You know, kind of the, well, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And it's like, look, this is a field full of noise. And we're trying oh, yes. to put this noise to, to rest because it's someone's got to do it. Now, yep. you know, 
you guys are, you're very, both of you seem very sweet, you know, and uh, I'm sure that we're going to get feedback now from some of our listeners saying, you know, why, you should have, like, uh, been asking tougher questions. And it's like, well, that's not what we always want to do. Sometimes we just want to have a nice conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we, we ask tough questions. I get some of these reincarnation people on, and they have doctorates. And I'll say, well, okay, uh, an old ghost hunter would ask a question, uh, you know, assuming all the assumptions, again, that if... Um, Reincarnation in the classical sense is true. Why are there so many old ghosts? You know, I've heard old ghost hunters ask that, and they have trouble answering the question sometimes. Uh, you know, you, you okay, well, the that's poss- the point. What is the question? We have the question here, which is about old ghosts. So, how do they get out of that one? Well, they they might admit. Well, there are other possibilities. Uh, I don't know if you're too familiar with what's going on in reincarnation studies now, but uh, in my opinion, that uh, I always ask regression therapists what is happening uh, with regard to their own practices. Do they get people who describe worlds they don't recognize? And again, assuming that uh, hypnosis does what it supposed to be doing, and which is a big if in my opinion. And what happens, do you get people who describe future lives? And a lot of them are saying, yes, it's funny, you should ask. And so a lot of them are admitting the possibility of parallel lives now rather than past lives. Because right. a past life, because this is 19th century spiritualism that they're touting, and most ghost hunters are doing the same thing. So that's what I question, and that's what I ask them about, is these assumptions, 19th century spiritualism, what about these other possibilities? Could it be this? Could it be that? Could orbs be UFOs? Could orbs be living things? in a sense other than ghosts and again you know this is how you open up the world if we're ever going to get to the truth about this stuff or whatever form of the truth we're going to get to it's got to be because of tough questions and getting rid of the assumptions Agreed. just as you guys are trying to do and i think that's that's marvelous i haven't listened to your show much but i think i'm going to now on. well we can point you to some specific episodes to avoid potentially uh yes. and some others to listen to there there's a case by the way you, you brought up uh, 19th century spiritualism the spiritists there is a, a really fascinating case and i don't know if you guys are aware of this or not but there is a, a fascinating book called People from the Other World. And it it was written by this incredibly interesting character in American history, Henry Steele Olcott. Oh, yeah. Are you aware of this man's name? I'm aware of his name. I haven't read the book. Well, well, here's the funny part, because now we're going to bring up our mutual friend, Joe Citro. Ah. Uh, In one of his books that he had sent me, I read, he had a little bit of coverage of the case that Olcott went and investigated these two brothers that were up in, uh, it was Chittenden, Vermont, the Eddy brothers. Yes. Uh, a fascinating, fascinating case. And this guy, Olcott, went up and documented it, wrote a book about it back, I think it's from 1875. Actually, if you go to Google Books, this book is up there in its entirety. You can actually download, a, a, like it's like a 20 meg or 12 meg PDF of this whole book because it's huh. long out of print. But this is like, uh, at, of its time, it is probably easily the best documented paranormal case of the 19th century. Yeah, I've heard of it, yep. Well, first of all, the Alcotts, uh, the Alcotts were cousin, are cousins of ours. And secondly, really? uh, we're an old New England family. And the, most of the old New England cases like the Eddies, the, that's, uh, I'm familiar with, with the, the names and, and the basics uh, here and there. But I, I'm going to read this. This sounds great. It also means probably that we're going to have to have you guys back and to explore some more of the stuff, some of the case histories and some of the things involved in your family background. But we're just about out of time. Paul or Ben, whoever wants to take this assignment, 
Take the next minute or so and talk about your site, your show, etc. No, you can do that, Dad. Okay. NewEnglandGhosts.com is our main site as paranormal investigators, if you will. And our show site is BehindTheParanormal.com. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of great guests. Uh, sometimes we'll just take the show and just talk ourselves about our own cases. Yeah. And uh, we have a lot of variety. And we take the same approach you fellas do, and that's, you know, ask questions, don't assume. You know, it's just uh, it's great to meet guys who uh, have that same point of view. And again, where do they go to find the show? Okay. Details, details. W-O-O-N, 1240 a.m. in southeastern New England, Boston, Providence, uh, Worcester Triangle, if you may use the word. And also, uh, it's onworldwide.com every Sunday night, 7 to 8 p.m. at uh, Eastern. And that's uh, 4 to 5 Pacific, if I get my time straight. Also, a monthly special, two hours on AchieveRadio.com. It's an Internet show. Uh, that'll be uh, noon to 2 p.m. Pacific and 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. And that's the last Sunday of each month. Check us out. That'll be our marathon, three hours of Behind the Paranormal on the last Sunday of the month. Otherwise, one hour on WON, ONWorldwide.com, every Sunday. Thank you very much, Paul and Ben Eno, for joining us on the Paracast. Thanks, guys. It's been a lovely time. Great to meet you. It was a pleasure. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. Paracast.